Great. Okay, so we are in elder-led part two. So if you were here last week, you heard a little bit about what an elder should be. And um, you will know that uh, I'm getting some interference as well, aren't I? Will I turn this off? stuff goes wrong, isn't it? How's that? Grand. I think we'll just forget about this one. Cool. All right. Um, yeah, so if you're here last week, elder-led part one, what is an elder? This week, we're asking a couple of different questions. Uh, mainly, what does an elder do? We talked about who an elder is. We saw that it's basically character. Um, it's all about godly character. And this week, we're going to be uh, looking at what does an elder do? Week to week, day to day, uh, how does an elder function in the family of God? And you'll see that we're going to have a little bit of a um, process that goes on uh, while we work out um, what our structure is going to be for leadership at Glasgow Grace. So last week, Elder Led Part 1, this week, Elder Led Part 2, and you'll see to the side of that, elders announce for assessment. So um, after the preach, we'll uh, get a couple of people up and um, announce who that's going to be. And uh, you can, like, you know, get enthusiastic about that if you want. A little bit of a cheer, uh, a little bit of a clap. Um, And then you'll see that we've got a couple of special videos we're going to do. And the reason for that is because there are all sorts of questions that are coming up around what it means to be an elder-led church and the way that we're doing things. Legitimate questions, good questions to ask, and we want to answer them as best we can right now so that six months from now or a year from now, you, you don't go, oh, I, I didn't know we believed that or thought that, and actually that's a, that's a big thing for me, and I, I find that really difficult. So we're just going to be really clear about those things in those videos. Um, so we'll make them available. First one on the 19th of August, talking about eldership and gender roles. 6th of September, we'll then answer your questions. So from now, it's open. Um, be asking questions about anything to do with eldership. And we want, uh, we'd love it if you could get those in by the 21st of August so that we've got some time to prepare answers and then we'll put them out on video, we'll collate those questions and just answer the ones that we think are most prevalent from what is being asked. And then, 25th of October, if assessment goes really well for these um, guys who are going to be announced today, then we will look to commission those elders on that date. So that's just keeping you in the loop and um, letting you know how we're going to be doing things. Now today, in Scotland. It's very much believe what you want, isn't it? Believe what you want until you might offend someone else. That's the mantra of our day. It's a cultural gospel of individualism. Whatever works for you. Now, the latest hate crime bill that's been presented to the Scottish Parliament kind of sums up where we're at. In fact, I quote, it says, if someone behaves in an insulting manner, you could be criminalized. Any material that is likely to stir up offense or trouble could imprison you. The bill even goes so far as to say that possession of that material could be enough to give you a criminal record. 
And I say that with a Bible in front of me. And I, I think we're not there yet, but it opens the door to it. And I think it's, it's the way of the latest agenda that we see strongly coming through, um, not just in politics, but in wider society. And so I think we need to be aware of that. We need to be real about that. We need to know where we're really at here. And if you want to be a radical disciple of Jesus today, I think one of the key things that we need to be willing to do is to lay ourselves down for the sake of others and to stand before God at the end of our lives and hope with the, the, the way in which we stood for God's word above our own feelings, above the feelings of society, the pressures that society are bringing upon us, that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. It's about submitting to God instead of your feelings. It's time to submit to the authority of God's word instead of the authority of the thought police. So the truly radical way of living today in Scotland, in my view, is willful submission to the authority of God. Obedience to his ways over our ways, so beautifully laid out in Scripture. To trust him and not all the cultural assumptions of the world. The willingness to lay ourselves down for the sake of the rest of our community, believing that what is in here is of much more wisdom than what I can bring or anybody else. But that we can trust God. We can trust God above anything and anyone. We need leaders in this kind of environment who are willing to do exactly that. Lay down their own comforts, lay down their own thoughts even, or feelings, so that they align with the Word of God and to live them out as best we can. That's why I think the two questions that I would like us to answer this morning are so vital. What does an elder do, and how do the rest of us relate to elders? What does this mean for us as a church family? So, two big questions to answer. I'm going to try and go through it as quickly as I can, so that we have enough time at the end for us to um, pray over those being put forward for assessment, give you an opportunity to pray for them, and um, hopefully spend a bit of time in reflection as well, and silence even. COVID-19 is pushing us to do all sorts of things we wouldn't normally do, so we're going to try that. Uh, but let me pray before I begin. Father God, we humble ourselves before you now. and We recognize that our minds are so finite, that our feelings are so finite, but that you are an infinite God who has revealed himself through his word. You have revealed yourself through your word and, and have come. Jesus, you came. You lived this life, this life that can be so tough. And you were willing to go to the cross for us so that we could be set free 
from empty deceit so that we could be set free from all the lies that Satan wants to whisper in our ears so that the truth would set us free. And we know that ultimately that it is you, Jesus, who is the truth and that your word speaks of you so gloriously. So this afternoon, would you speak to us in our hearts? Help us to see your glorious ways. Give us another glimpse of how wonderful you are, that your ways are higher than our ways, better than anything else we could come up with. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what do elders do? Well, as you read through the New Testament, what you see is all these gloriously exciting developments of the kingdom of God breaking out. The church is born and, and it grows and it goes from town to town and village to village. And uh, you see the apostles and the evangelists preaching the gospel. People come become Christians and churches are formed. But interestingly, what happens is after these churches are formed, the apostles often go back or they send someone to go and appoint leaders, appoint elders. And really, church is, is kind of just in its infancy until there is this structure put in place, this family structure of the appointment of elders. So in Titus 1.5, Paul instructs Timothy to stay, to continue the work of appointing elders in every church. It doesn't seem to be something that Paul could just quickly do before he leaves. It, it had to be something that took some time, an assessment of character, and, and actually see these people life on life, and then they appoint them. Then in Acts 14, we see Paul return. He goes back to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch to appoint elders. And the interesting thing, I think, about that is that in both of those examples, we see that elders, and in fact, elders are often talked about in this context, context, they're appointed to guard the church because it's in relation to false teaching that elders often get a lot of chat in the New Testament. So at the heart of what it means to be an elder is to guard the church. Any good church will be built on the foundations of the gospel. The good news about Jesus, it's going to be about Jesus. And elders need to be gospel-centered people, people who love Jesus, who are all about Jesus, who want to see Jesus lifted up in the church and want to see Jesus lifted up across the city, this king of the universe. And I'd go further and say that the context of the appointment of elders is almost always in relation to the period between Jesus' ascension and, and, the, and the birth of the church and his return. And this guarding seems to be something that takes place in that period of time. And so we're in that kind of now and not yet. Jesus has come. The kingdom is spreading across the world. But the enemy is prowling. He wants to disrupt the growth of the church. He wants to disrupt churches and 
bring disunity in churches and spread lies about doctrine in churches. And so at the very primary purpose of an elder is to guard in that season. And I think that's why in Acts 14.22, we see that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Then immediately, they appoint elders in every church, 14.23. So if this is the problem, that if the problem is this uh, great tribulations that, that have to be faced, the solution, eldership. We appoint elders to guard the church until Jesus returns. So elders are to guard the church, and they're to do that by serving in the Spirit's power. Elders are servants. They lay themselves down for the sake of the church. They don't build themselves up. They lay themselves down so others can be built up. They are to be leaders who are following in the ways of Jesus, and they are not concerned with their own reputation or success. It's not about them. They're about the equipping of the saints. Jesus, of course, is the greatest leader who ever lived, right? And what, what do we see in Jesus? This benevolent servant king. It's a model for any Christian leader in any context. So we will have other leaders in the church who aren't elders. We already do. We'll talk a bit about that later. And this is the model for them too. Any Christian leader in any context. I mean, outside the church as well. It's to be like the chief shepherd as under shepherds. Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. And in him, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. Every star burns because he says so. The world rotates on its axis because he says so. We breathe and our hearts beat because Jesus says so. Yet, he willingly came and laid himself down so that we could go free. The world says leadership is about being served. The Bible says leadership is about serving. It's upside down leadership. In fact, any kind of leadership in the church is really a competition to be the last and the least. We heard that at a conference some of us went to last year and it really stuck in my mind. That it's a competition to be the, to be the least, the last so that others might go past you. God spoke to me about becoming an elder when I was pretty young. I was only 18. And uh, I was reading the book of Titus on a summer camp, and I was reading through it, and I just knew in that moment, I'd never any interest in it before. No, thank you. I will just keep playing rugby and do what I'm going to do and maybe make some money one day and might have a family, who knows? That was, that was my attitude. And in a moment I knew I could be a pastor, an elder one day. And I was reading through the qualifications and Titus going, that's not me, that's not me, that's not me. I feel called to it. And I'm so thankful that I 
wasn't able to lead in that capacity for a long time. And I'm, I'm thankful because I would have made a mess of it. The church would have been a disaster if I'd been allowed at that age to be an elder. And I would have been a mess. I remember um, just being so passionate, thinking, being so critical of the church leaders at the time that I was in. Where's your faith for miracles? Where's your, where's your passion when you're preaching? Where, what's going on? What are you spending all your time doing? Come on. Why are you making that stupid decision? I would never be. If I was in charge, I was so arrogant. I had no idea those poor leaders were so gracious to me. The truth is that it would have broken me or it would have broken the church if I was functioning as an elder at that age. What I know now, and actually it wasn't about age, it was about maturity. I had no real comprehension for what it meant to be an elder. My burning desire and passion was as much about me and my pride as it was about Jesus and his church. I didn't see the beauty and what they did for me and the others in the quiet moments in their shepherding of the flock. True godly leadership requires you to lay yourself down again and again for the sake of others who could even be your fiercest critic. The truth is we are never fully submitted to Jesus until that moment that we meet him face to face. And there are still things, of course, that I'm learning every day. But I'm thankful that God has given me time, He's worked in my heart. He's revealed things to me that made me realize I had no idea. To be a servant leader is to recognize two things. And I'm, I'm going to summarize here, okay, from a pastor called, and a theologian called C. John Miller. First thing he says is, cheer up, you're worse than you think. So you want to be a, a servant leader? Cheer up, you're worse than you think. And he says, a servant leader realizes that their failures and flaws are stronger than they could ever even begin to imagine. They realize that they are finite, here today, gone tomorrow, and there's a lot of face-down moments where they just need to cry out to God, oh Lord, I need you. Trust me, I need to say that prayer all the time. Lord, I, need, I don't know what I'm doing. Lord, I need you. Come. And the second thing he says is, cheer up. The gospel is way better than you can imagine. Servant leaders realize that by constantly going to Jesus, they are empowered to serve and lead well beyond their own natural ability. They discover that God loves to pour out his Holy Spirit upon them. Not only upon them, but upon the people of God that they're have care for. The infinite God pours out his spirit to empower the finite leaders that he puts in place. And there's a lot of moments then that not only are they bowed down and going, oh, I need you, but also moments where they're running headlong into the battle, leading the way. Not because they believe in their own abilities but because they sense that the, the infinite God of power is behind them, taking them forward into mission 
in this church, in, in this city, and beyond. To serve the church effectively, an elder must lay himself down in realization that, that he does not have what it takes and have then the faith that God will raise him and the rest of the church up to live out the will of God. The Apostle Paul, I think, sums it up brilliantly. Colossians 1. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And listen to this. So that's the context. Rejoicing in suffering like Christ did. And he's laid himself down for the sake of the church. That's the context. Then he says, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. So what's, the, what's, what's Paul's desire to present everyone fully mature in Christ? And an elder's desire should be the same. Any Christian leader should have that desire. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works within me. Do you see that? So it's, it's Paul giving it his all, willing to lay himself down, but it is Christ powerfully working in him. And a good elder will understand that. Give it your all, knowing that you only have a finite amount of ability, that you're, you're not everything that you need to be, but Jesus is, and he's poured out his spirit, and his power is working through you in the church. So in this period between Jesus' first coming and the second coming, the elders are on the front line. The attacks from the enemy, the criticism from within and from without, and the sharing of the sufferings of Christ and the sufferings of the people in the church, of the flock. But as they trust in Jesus who came to serve and not be served, they receive the power of God for upside-down leadership. Elders guard the church in this age by serving in the power of the Spirit. And elders guard by teaching, correcting, and praying. Elders are to feed the gospel again and again and again and again in a very unblinkered way. Elders teach the gospel and they protect the rest of us from the toxicity difficult word to say, of its distortion. And there will always be people trying to distort the gospel. Elders need to be aware of that. So elders need to be gospel-centered at the core of who they are, truly believing that it is only Jesus and his grace that can transform people, that can transform churches, that can transform cities. Men who faithfully sit under the authority of God's word. Someone who is willing to stand up and say what they believe Scripture says because they fear God way more than they fear anyone else. Charles Simeon was a 
brave pastor in Cambridge at the turn of the 18th century. Time where Bible-believing Christians were sidelined. I think sometimes we think that this is a new thing. No, if you look back through church history, it's happened time and time again. And he once turned up to preach in his own church, and they had chained the doors shut. Another time he turned up to preach, and those who owned private pews, which they did in those days, they had chained those up so that nobody else could come and sit in the pews while they weren't there. Because they didn't want anyone to hear the gospel that he was preaching. In time, God used him to have great influence in the town for the good news of Jesus. And he said this, and this should be the endeavor of any elder at Glasgow Grace. My endeavor is to bring out of Scripture what is there and not to thrust on what might be there. I have a great jealousy on this head, never to speak more or less than I believe the mind of the Spirit is in the passage that I am expounding. In other words, preach the gospel, preach the Word of God, week in, week out, verse by verse. Because we can trust His Word, not the opinion of man. Now, if you haven't realized it already, the day has arrived where basic preaching of biblical truth is under threat. The heart of Jesus' ministry was his unswerving commitment to Bible teaching. He came preaching and teaching, Luke 4, 18. And then he consistently did that for the next three years. When he encountered people who were like sheep without a shepherd, as he said, his strategy was to teach them. Mark 6, 34. At the heart of what it means to shepherd the flock is to teach, and it is to model Christ's teaching, Jesus' teaching. When the crowds gathered to see his miracles, he didn't just keep pandering to the crowd's demands for more. He did two things. He prayed. If you listened to Stu's message a couple of weeks ago, it was brilliant on, on prayer. And the second thing they did, that Jesus did, was he stuck to task. Mark 1.38, he says to the disciples, after leaving them in a panic without him, before the demands of all these people who want more miracles, demand it now, he says this, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for this is what I have come to do. Went away and prayed, came back. Right, I've come to preach, let's keep preaching. Jesus led with a biblical prayerfulness. He's just always intimate with his Father, always, always in the Word. That's why, that's the only story, isn't it, that we have of him when he's a boy, 12 years old, um, or thereabouts, and we see him in the temple. And he calls it his father's house. He's been with his father. And he's debating over the scriptures with the teacher of the law. He's in the Bible. He's found with his father in the word of God. Jesus led a life of intimate biblical prayerfulness. And at the end of his ministry, he says to Peter, feed my sheep. And then as he's getting ready to ascend and take his place, on the throne, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, 
to obey all he had commanded them. Then as we look at the rapid advance of the church in the New Testament, what happens? We see that it even gets called the Word of God. The church itself, the the growth of the kingdom of God. It gets called the Word of God, Acts 6-7. And the people of God, before it became known as the church, became known as the way. Because they were hidden in Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. They're joined to the way, the truth, and the life. The way, the truth, and the life. The Word of God, which is ultimately about Jesus, doesn't lead us to pick and mix theology. It leads us to the truth about Jesus that reveals the way to be. Leads us to everlasting life, the everlasting life that we're made for. And it leads us to the truth that sets us free. Any genuine great move of God in history can be put down to two things. Prayer, people on their knees before God, asking God to intervene, and faithful preaching of the gospel. Elders are about biblical faithfulness, prayerfulness, biblical faithfulness too. All right. Elders are to guard from a position of biblical teaching and prayer. And uh, we see that actually they, they, they don't just teach. It's not like a, an elder can just get up and teach. They have to be an example to live this thing out. And we looked at that last week. But we also see that they are to care. So a part of this is to be loving, is to be caring. So you cannot be functioning as an elder if you don't actually love the people. Care for the people. Lay yourself down. Be a servant, as we've said. And one of the ways in which we do that is in James, as James 5.14 says, is to pray for the sick. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. That's the kind of thing that elders should be concerned about doing. It's like when we see in Jerusalem, the very first church, and it's just kicked off. People have come to faith thousands at a time. And what is the first big leadership decision that they make? It's that those who are leading at the time, they weren't called elders in that moment because elders hadn't really been introduced to the church at that point as a a kind of official term. But they were functioning as elders. And what were they to focus on? They were to focus on prayer and the word of God. And so it's the same for those who are in eldership, they should be focused on prayer and the word of God, caring for the flock through those things, guarding the flock, guarding the family. So elders guard from a position of biblical teaching and prayer, and they care, deeply care for the elders, eh, for the church, sorry. But how should we relate to the elders? Here's a big question. For us to answer that, I'm going to take about four minutes to answer. Um, the church's relationship with the elder is not one way. It's not that you just spectate. This isn't consumerism. We are a family and we all contribute. We're a, a priesthood of all believers. We're a body. We're all in this together. 
So how do we work that out? Well, one of the things that we need to do is to honor our elders. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. I think in Scotland, we tend to think anyone who puts himself out there are fair game. We, we can criticize them. We can gossip about them. We can say what we want, slander them behind their backs. Um, we think... They're like tall poppies we can cut down. But they aren't fair game, according to the Bible. We should be honoring our elders. And that, if, I think at the very least, that means that if we do have an issue, go to them. They'd love to hear it, I'm sure. We don't talk behind their, their backs. The second thing is a very popular word these days, submission. Submit. Hebrews 13, 7. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Hebrews 13, 17 then goes on to say, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden for that would be of no benefit to you. Submission in the Bible is a willful submission. It's a willing submission. So every time that we see, particularly in the New Testament, this, this word submit or submission, it, it is out of our own wills that we are to submit. It's not a forced submission. It's just not a you must. It's a ah, come and be under. Come and enjoy being under the leadership of the elders and the protection that they're offering you, the gospel that they're preaching to you. Now, in any team I've ever been in, whether that's a, a rugby team or a university um, project that we're doing, or it's uh, an office team, or it's a church team of some kind, there is one thing that I have noticed, and that is that if everyone in that team, no matter of their opinion of the leaders in the team, decide, hmm, I'm going to just get behind what they're doing, even though I'm, I'm, I reckon we could do it a different way. I reckon we could try that or do this or do this. Now, obviously, elders in this church are always going to want your suggestions because God speaks through his people, and a good elder will always be listening. But if they then decide to do it differently, then might I suggest that if we, if we want to see lots of fruitfulness, we need unity. We need to just get behind what's going on. Get behind the vision of the church. And if we all go for it together and really buy into it, then we're much more likely to see what we hope God will do through this church and in this city succeed. God just loves unity, togetherness. After all, Jesus said, they will know you by your love for one another. Genuine unity in Christ and the backing of our leaders will transform the city. I believe that. And the third thing, and the last thing, that churches should do to get behind their elders and 
respond to the leadership of the elders is to pray. And actually, in just a moment, what we're going to do is give you an opportunity to pray for those who are going forward for assessment. It's all very strange, isn't it, talking about these people going forward for assessment. Um, but we would love it if uh, in just a moment when we do make that announcement that you would pray. Um, here's uh, what something the Bible says about praying for, I've lost the reference, maybe one of you will know it, um, to pray for your elders. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Sounds like Paul saying that to someone. <laughs> well, I'll find the reference in a minute. But again, we, we want to pray for our leaders, whether that's apostolic leadership in some way, and we'll explain a bit more about what we believe about that in the coming weeks um, in advance, or whether it's elders or whether it's other leaders in the church. So that's how I think we can respond to what eldership is. Honor, submit, and pray. But now we're going to make our announcements, okay? Um, so um, we have a, a core team that we're now calling our ministry leads who have really been at the heart of the leadership of the church and will continue to be. Um, and they have done just such a fantastic job uh, over the past two years almost um, now since we first moved up to Glasgow started meeting some of these guys and um, we're just so thankful for all of them and uh, this is our, our team so we've got Lois and Lewis that's me and Lindsay there looking very sensible we have to be very sensible to be an elder um, and that's the Courtney's uh, top right and we've got Jeff and Claire bottom left Andy and Jen and Johnny and Lynn and Stu and Joy. And uh, we've been meeting regularly together and praying for the church and um, working together on how uh, we, we move forward together. And these guys will very much be leading still in the church. And uh, we just want to make that really clear. Um, but all of these guys will be involved in leadership. And uh, they really are functioning as leaders because they're leading either a Sunday ministry or a grace community. Um, so you'll have seen them uh, leading in those contexts. And our grace communities are really important to us because so much of the pastoral work in the church is done through our grace communities. And uh, so these are really key leaders. So if you have, if you're part of a grace community, they are your first port of call. Um, if you've got anything going on in your life, you feel, oh, I'd love prayer for this or to talk to somebody about this, they are your first port of call. Um, and then... On Sundays, we have our kids' leaders, our tots' leaders. Um, so Jeff and Claire, uh, le Jeff leads kids with Lynn, and Claire leads tots. And then um, Cheesa has been leading our hospitality on a Sunday, our hospitality and, and our welcome. And um, so those guys are involved in leadership in that way. And it's just been such a joy just getting to know each other and... Um, yeah, we've, we've, uh, we've been amazed at what God's done through that team. So we're just very thankful for them. They will remain uh, ministry leaders in the church. So here's call, uh, talk about a team called the ministry leads team. That's who we're talking about, okay? But um, we will also be having elders, and elders will oversee uh, the whole church. So these ministry leads will be overseeing those areas, um, but the elders will be overseeing the whole church. 
and particularly that kind of guarding function um, that we've been talking about. So here we are. Johnny and myself are going forward for assessment and uh, we would really value your prayers. <laughs> so we've started that assessment and we have been working together, asking each other some very difficult and awkward questions. <laughs> and uh, it's been great because um, we've been really kind of just digging deep down into each other's hearts, really, and uh, praying together and working through some stuff together. So we're working through a book together and praying together. Um, and Lynn and Lindsay are invo really involved as well. So we're meeting regularly, uh, having meals together, and we're about to have a weekend away at the end of August um, to really dig deep down um, and kind of work through all the different things, all those character issues that we talked about last week. We want to really dig into those, make sure that we are um, doing what we um, what, what is there and living that out as best we can and talking through those together. And then what will happen is we will continue to be assessing each other, but also advance our helping us to be assessed as well. So it's slightly difficult because there's a distance, obviously, in terms of relationships. The life-on-life -life stuff is really with one another, and that will be how it continues in the future when other uh, elders would be added to that team in the future. Um, but uh, we're also having some assessment questions and different things um, from the wider leaders in the advanced family of churches. And uh, I have obviously been assessed by them already through Gateway Church uh, and Advance. So, um, but Johnny and Lynn will have a bit more of a formal assessment with them as well. So that's where we're at. And I'm just looking at time. Where are we? It would be great to pray for each other, uh, for, for us. Um, so if you feel led to pray, um, that would be great. We're coming up. We're just at five o'clock now, so um, we'll we'll give that five minutes um, because I think it's really important that we do that. So, Johnny Lynn, why don't you come up here? And um, I'll put my mask back on because these new rules are that if I'm on the stage, I can take it off and talk. Um, but then, if somebody else is leading, might need to be back on, and whoever's leading can take theirs off. So, if you'd like to come and pray for us, we'd Really appreciate that. Um, and what I'll do is I'll put this mic back down over here. But if you grab the one with the white tape um, and come up and pray, that would be wonderful. I'll pray just now. And then, yeah, hopefully by the end, a couple of you will be ready to pray for us. <laughs> 